0: That's linkedin.com slash MPN. Terms and conditions apply. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy.
1: Mike
2: Carlin. Well, hello and welcome to Uncorking a Story, now part of the Marketing Podcast Network. I'm your host, Mike Carlin, and today I'm very excited to introduce you to Karen Winnick. Karen is the author of more than a dozen picture books for children, most of which she illustrated. An animal lover, she serves on several boards devoted to the well-being of animals, she joins me today to talk about her life and latest book, Can You Spot the Leopard at African Safari, which aims to teach children compassion for animals. Welcome to Uncorking a Story, Karen.
3: Thank you for having me, Mike. I appreciate it.
2: Well, I, uh, I, it's, it's my pleasure to have you here, Karen, and uh, I'm curious uh, to know, uh, where does your story as an author begin?
3: I think one strong factor is that I'm an only child and... <laughs> Um, in this long history of what I've been doing, I've been told all kinds of things, but the strongest thing about me is my imagination, and I, I credit that with being an only child and spending a lot of time on my own,
2: yeah, Kind of
3: curiosity about the world, and I, I would sit for hours and draw and um, do things on my own.
2: I always um, was amazed by people who could sit uh, and draw um, and kind of fill their time. I uh, do not have that talent. I cannot draw for for the life of me. It it gives me art class used to give me tremendous anxiety as a kid. Um, But uh, I had a twin brother to uh, to to sort of, you know, keep me company. So that was uh,
3: Uh, and you were never quite alone,
2: was never alone, was never sometimes wanted to be. Um, and sometimes, you know, now in our late 40s, uh, if he's around too much, I get a little, uh, a little upset. But just well,
3: I'm married to a man that likes to be with other people. And I love my friends and I love people, but I also need time alone. And it all comes back from, it all resonates from being an only child. Also, in terms of drawing, I go to schools all the time and talk to kids. And I always ask them, how many of you play sports? And they all raise their hand. And I said, well, what do you have to do to be good? And they go, practice. And I go, well, art's no different. If you want to do art, practice. If you want to write, write well, practice. The more you do something, even if you start at a not a very good place, you get better.
2: And my three children are very talented uh, with art. Um, One in particular, Gracie. Um, you know, from the time she could hold you know, some kind of writing instrument in her hand, she's been able to pretty much draw whatever she sees Great. Um, she's she's naturally gifted. and um, she used to draw all the time, and, and there's paintings all over the house. Um, but at some point in time, I, and I and I can't even pinpoint when it was, probably just before puberty. Like it just stopped. Like she just stopped. Maybe she didn't stop drawing, but she stopped sharing it with us. um. And that was that that made always makes me a little sad when I think about it because she was, I mean, she's a wonderful, wonderful artist.
3: How old is she now?
2: Uh she's 20. So we have triplets. They uh they turned 20 this past April. Yeah,
3: that's kind of amazing. Yeah. I yeah. I wonder if she was exposed to something that would whet her appetite to do it again. Who knows?
2: Yeah, she's studying fashion uh marketing and merchandising. Um as a major, and I said, Gracie, you really should be a designer. I mean, you you have that talent and she has a whole sketchbook of like designs that she doesn't share with us. But um, this is not about Grace, this is about you. Uh, So when did you start writing, um, when did you start writing children's books?
3: Okay, so first of all, when I was little, I thought I'd like to be a ballet dancer, but I wasn't, I was pretty clumsy and I loved to draw. I even drew in the books I had and I majored in art in college. I needed to earn a living, so I majored in graphic design. And I always loved English and history. And after college, I had a friend and he had a very funny pair of shoes. I was working as um, an art director, but this friend had a very, it was, they were all different colors and just for kicks, I decided I was going to write a story about his shoes and it was called Happy Souls, S-O-L-E-S. And it was about a pair of shoes that didn't get along, but um, they were a pair and it was so much fun to do. And at the time I lived in Manhattan and I would take my portfolio around. And I was told that publishers of children's books did not do inanimate objects. The rules have always changed. And you know, now there's a series of books about animated crayons, but at the time, nobody wanted my shoe story. But I, I just had so much fun doing it. And it combined a relation to children. It combined art. It compi- um, combined writing. And it, it could have been animals. It could have been history. It could have been things I care about and I loved doing it, so I did another one, and ideas come from all different places. I had read Anna Karenina. Okay, this is is funny. Levin was Tolstoy's alter ego, and he was a very wealthy young man, and he felt guilty about all this wealth, so he went to a hilltop, and he lay down and he looked up at the arch of the sky and you can call it resignation or you can call it acceptance. He knew it went far beyond. It made me think of a puppet who's trying to find out who pulls the strings. And I wrote a story and it was um, called Patch in the Strings. And I took my portfolio around and Lippincott, an old line Philadelphia publisher, published it. Sadly, Lippincott went out of business six months later, but the book had been read on TV by um, Captain Kangaroo. And, And in those days, I drew pictures and wrote alongside the drawings. After that, my husband took a job in California and there were really, the only publisher that was there, we were moving to Los Angeles Um, I think it was um, Harcourt had a a publishing house in San Diego, but an editor at um, golden books told me to look up this woman and she was teaching writing at UCLA extension. So when I moved to California and I had two children already and I have three also, but I had to do it separately.
2: (laughs) (laughs) We all can't be as efficient as me. I'm sorry. (laughs)
3: I have three boys too. (laughs) Okay. So um, I took a class. And as I said before, I would draw pictures and write underneath them. And I embarked on learning really how to write. I took on and off 14 years of writing classes, but seven of poetry. I studied under this woman, Myra Cohn Livingston, who was a children's poet. And the tools of poetry, rhythm, rhyme, alliteration, repetition are essential in writing picture books. And I only write picture books because I come from the art. And that took me down a whole other path. One time I was asked to interview Lawrence de Brunhoff, the author of the Babar books at, at the LA Public Library and he drew pictures and wrote underneath, just the way I started off doing. But by the time I interviewed him, I was just writing stories and trying to get them right. And once I did, I would make a book dummy and I would do pencil sketches and I create, I have book dummies all over the place.
2: That story about, you know, having a book read on Captain Kangaroo. um, I mean, that just brought me back to my childhood because he was, you know, my, my brother and I remember just watching him in in our family room growing up. But I imagine, you know, having a picture book read by Captain Kangaroo is akin to, you know, a comedian being invited to do a panel discussion with Johnny Carson on The Tonight Show. You know, you're kind of getting that seal of approval for, you know, your target audience.
3: I I was so excited and I sat there with my young son watching it. It was great. But, you know, Mike, I've been doing this a long time and there's so many ups and there's so many bumps. And I think perseverance is super important.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, you know, perseverance and publishing kind of go hand in hand, right? You have to,
3: you know, perhaps perhaps in most things in life. Yeah for sure in publishing.
2: Yeah, and persistence. You know, it's like the, the, those three Ps.
3: <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, All of my writing friends have their war stories.
2: Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. Well, what can you share with us about uh, Can You Spot the Leopard?
3: So I was involved with the Los Angeles Zoo and I went down there to hear a lecture by a woman named Cynthia Moss who studies elephants in Amboseli. And when she got up to speak, I was mesmerized. I, I've always loved animals and I've especially loved elephants. And someone said to me, Karen, if you love elephants so much, you need to go on a safari. And I asked my husband who didn't care about going on a safari. So I planned a trip. It turned out to be four middle-aged women and four kids in their 20s. I've traveled a lot since then, but I have to tell you that was the best trip of my life. And we went on safari and I took notes. And at the time I was studying poetry with Myra Cung Livingston and I came home and over a long period of time, I shaped those notes into poetry and mostly unless I sold something, I never got past making a pencil book dummy. But the pandemic and the quarantine were a sad time, but for me, they were a gift of time. I have a very busy life. And every single day, I started working on the paintings before the quarantine, but during the quarantine, I worked on these paintings every day. I um, I keep a picture file and I pulled out pictures and cut them apart and put them together to create what I wanted. And some I did from actual photographs from the trip, but I just painted every day. And sometimes I did two paintings for one poem. It took me about a little over two years to do all the paintings. And um, that's how the book came about. Yeah, through this safari and what I hope to do because it was such a neat experience I hope to create the experience of a safari for kids and that's that was my objective but I do have a deeper purpose and my deeper purpose is to teach children compassion and respect for animals I have a little quote that I Keep here that I just want to read. It's Jane Goodall, one of my heroes. Only if we understand will we care. Only if we care will we help. Only if we help shall all be saved. And I hope that children will care enough that they'll be advocates and activists. So that is my objective with this book.
2: Where where did uh, where do you suppose your love of animals uh, come from?
3: I think my father loved animals, and I remember one night as a little girl, we it was raining and we found a stray dog on our property, and we brought him into the garage and dried him off and fed him. We didn't have any dog food because I didn't have a dog then, and we kept him. And then I kept finding, I grew up in Pennsylvania in a suburb of Pennsylvania. Mm. I kept finding stray dogs. And my mother told me I had to find them homes. So I could only keep one, but I, they're wondrous to me. And when you live with them, um, they're just amazing. I have five dogs Yeah, and my husband keeps getting me topiaries I have an elephant and a giraffe and a bear. I just so I don't bother him. <laughs>
2: <laughs> my mother
3: I'm an act, I'm an activist. You know, I was a 60s person and I was hoping to make a, do my very, very small part to make the world a better place. And the world has a lot of difficulties, and probably it always does, but I I want to hopefully. Do my part to leave the world just a little bit better. And so I do it through children's books.
2: Yeah. Oh, that's it's wonderful. I think, um, yeah, I, I think of my own mom, um, who's 89 now, but she uh, she has this famous quote, I never met a dog I didn't like. Um, <laughs> and she loves, she loves, I mean, she really does love dogs. And unfortunately her memory is failing. But um, even before she asked me how I'm doing, she will, she will say. <laughs> How are the dogs? Michael, how are, how are your four-legged babies?
3: Like... Well, I have grandchildren now, and truthfully, they come over to see the dogs.
2: Yeah.
3: I'm a byproduct, but I, at least I get to see them.
2: So um, in addition to the dogs in your home, uh, any other animals? I have
3: a lot of fish. <laughs> I have goldfish and koi and, and things like that, But but that's pretty much it. I have a lot of stuffed animals around, but... I get very involved in the animals that I write. And again, you don't know where ideas come from. I I told you that Catching the Strings came from reading Tolstoy. But I went to the Santa Barbara Zoo. And at the time, they had a crooked net giraffe named Jamina. And I fell in love with her. I was feeding her. And I asked them if I could write a story about her. And I did. And I illustrated it. And that book had resonance with disabled children because despite her disability, she, um, she lived a long, full life. And then they asked me to write one about a penguin that they had named Lucky who had a deformed foot. So I went around and spoke to children with disabilities about these two animals. One, one book that I did, I, I always love to look for a subtext One book that I did, which has done nicely over the years, was Mr. Lincoln's Whiskers. I I started out writing books about girl heroines in history because I had three boys and there wasn't that much about girls in history. And a young girl, which is, this is a footnote in history, a young girl named Grace Bedell wrote a letter to Abraham Lincoln suggesting he grow whiskers. Even if she were grown up she couldn't have voted but she was only 11 years old, and he wrote her back and said thank you for your suggestion. But when he was elected president he took the uh, train from Springfield Illinois to Washington DC and stopped it in upstate New York to show her that he had taken her advice. She was worried that he wouldn't be elected president because his face looked so sad. Well in the writing, I realized that this little girl had a voice and all kids should feel that if they had something to say, speak up. So when I go to schools and I speak about this book, I always say, you know, if something is important, you have to give it voice. And sometimes they write letters as a a project, as an exercise. And one little boy wrote to, um, a famous basketball player and advised him on his jump shot. <laughs> <laughs> so you never, he, I mean, kids are amazing. I just yeah. love kids and yeah. I love animals and I love books. And I feel so grateful that everything came together. Yeah. And I struggle, I struggle. There are things I don't get published and, um, and sometimes the book doesn't do well. And, but I get lost in the process, which is a good thing.
2: Has the conventional thinking changed whereby you can now write stories about inanimate objects?
3: Yes, I've never taken happy souls out of the drawer and tried to um, show it. I, you know, sometimes I just move on and I, and my experience has, my experiences have informed my stories. Like I sponsored a search dog with the Search Dog Foundation and I went there and I watched him train and I went to his graduation and I got to name him. His name is Diesel. He, he is in Malinois. And so I worked on, I have the book dummy. I've worked on that story. I've not shown that book around. But the things that happened to me in life, I, I, I think curiosity. And my mother taught me one important thing that a love of learning, it should never stop
0: yeah
2: that's uh that's beautiful i i love the idea of um of happy souls i mean i don't know why i'm just stuck on it maybe i should see if i can take it out because these shoes they remind me of like the way you described it. like a pair of shoes that don't get along it's like an old married couple like they have to stick together because they're useless without each other you know yes yes they're kind of forced they they truly are they're forced to get along um I don't know. It's just uh, too bad uh, Captain Kangaroo's not around anymore. To, you know.
3: I don't know. Maybe. Um, who knows?
2: <laughs> Actually, I have a funny Captain Kangaroo story. My aunt Peggy, um, so my father's brother married this woman, Peggy. Peggy's uncle was Captain Kangaroo.
3: Oh, how do you like that? Oh, my goodness. Wow. I mean, no, no blood
2: relation to me. You know, we don't. Yeah, but you
3: know. still, you know, it, he's considered a relative in a way through marriage.
2: I guess I guess it didn't do me any good but it's not all of not all about me. Um I do have uh, some questions I always like to sure. uh, ask towards the end. Um pop culture kind of related, but I'm curious Karen when you were uh, when you were growing up, what uh, what were you watching on TV if anything? What did you like to watch?
3: What did I like to watch? Well, I did like animal programs. Um I thought you were going to ask me what book I love because
2: that's an easy one. <laughs> we'll get we'll get there. We'll get there.
3: Um, I I I'm not sure. I really, I mean, father's knows father knows best and things like that. I guess. But I did mean, he now,
2: did he really know best?
3: No, and and I guess I think some of the shows didn't even show that or Leave It to Beaver, yeah. that kind of thing. But you know they have their downside because every family, as Tolstoy says, you know, has their issues and it might set up a false, false, um, idea of what families really are.
2: Yeah. It's like, it, it sets up, um, it might set you up for disappointment because especially like TV of that era, right. The golden age of TV, it was so, I don't know. It was so clean. It was so simple um
3: sanitized whitewashed yeah (laughs) and and
2: if your family didn't look like that and if your family didn't act like that I'd imagine you know I'd be like confused um or disappointed somehow and I think I think the same way about social media you know we see all these people posting these idyllic lives on 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 Facebook on Instagram and it's um to some extent unrealistic right it's uh
3: but you made me think about it in terms of the tv shows of the time yeah you know i i haven't really thought much i don't i don't have an opportunity to watch that much tv now i work at night i work whenever i can and i do a lot of reading at night
2: did you watch um cuz you know we we did just go through this pandemic and one of the bigger things during the early days of the pandemic i i'm ashamed to admit that i watched it was Tiger King. Did you, did you get sucked into that at all? Or, or
3: no, no, it, it made me angry. I'm because sure. They abused the animals and I, I get so upset. Yeah, I really do. I, I know so many people that watched it, but no,
2: yeah, that was, I never
3: watched it. And you know what, after that trip to Africa, I went on a lot of trips. In fact, I'm hoping to go to Borneo next year to see the orangutans, but I went to India and I went to a tiger preserve and I saw the same four or five tigers every single day.
2: Yeah.
3: I mean, it's so sad. I think there are more tigers in captivity than there are in the wild. I mean, they've really made strides to, um, to help them, yeah. but um, it's a long way. And I'm involved with a charity. Um, I'm on the board of a charity called Wild Earth Allies and what i've learned from that is that helping the local people to preserve their habitat and their animals is what's most important you have to involve them i've learned so much about this but i can only do so little
2: (laughs) um well let let me ask you the question that you wanted to be asked which was uh, favorite (laughs) favorite book or books or author
3: okay so My favorite children's book of all time, which I read in third grade and have read innumerable times since, and I'm actually reading to my granddaughter now, was Charlotte's Web. I think that book is so brilliant. I could never kill a spider and I could never eat a pig. I love Wilbur and I love Charlotte. And truthfully, my poetry teacher, there was a whole group of us that were in her poetry class and they've gone on to be really well published poets and authors. One is Alice Sherdle, who's done Little Blue Truck, and I love that book. But Charlotte's Web was great. And I liken all of Myra Livingston's students to Charlotte's Little Spiders, because after she passed away, we all went out into the world with her wisdom to write poetry.
2: That's a beautiful story. I uh, no, kind of got teared up right there. Jeez. Um, Did not expect that. I did not expect that, that, but that's just a beautiful, uh, beautiful image. Um, I mean, I remember it was always a big deal growing up when, you know, the animated movie Charlotte's Web would come on TV Um, and uh, my brother and I would always watch it and days before VCRs where if you didn't see it, you didn't see it. Um, But uh, yeah, it does. It does make you think of animals in a different way, even spiders. It's so funny. You talk about you know your husband being more of an extrovert, it sounds, and you being maybe a little bit more introverted. It's opposite in in my house. I'm the extrovert. My wife is the introvert, but uh, I'm also the guy who can't kill a spider. Um, <laughs> and when my wife sees one, she just like boom, like will squish it. I'm like, why? Why are we killing the
3: no. spider? No, I take them outside, <laughs> well, and I now my it. husband does too, because he knows I'll too. get mad if he kills it.
2: That was my mom, too, like she would she would not kill anything in the house. I mean, when we lived in South Florida and we had cockroaches, you know, they, they didn't get a pass, but everything else pretty much.
3: Well, we used to have them in Manhattan and then we would spray and they go to our neighbor and then when our neighbor spray, they come back and visit us, you know, I want I, if I have time, I want to say one sure. other thing about children's books. Yeah, I always say and I tell children this when you write a picture book, you don't have to say she's wearing a red dress because you draw a picture of her in a red dress and strong verbs are important, not adjectives because adjectives you can draw. So if you say hop, skip, and jump, you can draw those things. But when you're writing a chapter book or an adult novel, you're creating pictures with your words. And one of the most, um, I think, the genius at doing that was Wallace Stegner. He wrote a book called um, The Angle of Repose. And when I read it, I was blown away by his descriptions of the Grand Canyon because he was painting pictures with his words.
1: Mm.
3: So I've tried to write two chapter books. They're both sitting in, in, again, another box. And it was really difficult for me to use words when I wanted to draw pictures. Yeah. It's a different kind of writing.
2: It is. I, and I felt that way about John Irving and his writing. Um, it just just, it's poetic. You know, it is just and he has a new book. Does he really? I haven't uh, I haven't checked it out.
3: It but... just came out. And I think one novel that impacted me greatly in my life was The Brothers Karamazov, mm. because one character, um, I think it was Ivan. There's a famous chapter where he argues how could God exist if one child suffers? And um, as a nineteen-year-old idealist, you know that book really impacted me.
2: No, I'm sure. I'm sure. Stayed yeah. with
3: me for many years.
2: Now, was that a book that you chose to read or that you had to read?
3: Yes, I was fascinated by Russian literature, but I could not fit it into my schedule because I had an art schedule with long art studio classes. And I had a lot of liberal arts, but I could not fit that in. So over the summer, I created a syllabus and read all these books.
2: That's great. I, you know, I, I think there's a big difference in um in enjoying books uh, when you choose to read them versus when you have to read them. Because I remember growing up, you know, middle school, high school, and you have to read. There are certain books that you just have to read because they're just part yeah. of the curriculum um and he, i'll even put shakespeare in there where you're kind of forced to read these plays um versus seeing them acted out um and i just didn't i didn't fall in love with any of it but then when i when i chose to to read it was a completely different experience i think i should probably go back to some of those high school you know uh books that we were reading back then um cuz i remember hating to read john steinbeck because i, I had to um and you know who hates John Steinbeck? I did. I, I couldn't stand it. Um,
3: and and you know what? Sometimes you can't go home again. You've read a book, and you liked it so much, and then when you try and read it again, it doesn't speak to you anymore.
2: Yeah, there's a few books Except in my life was, where I've read it.
3: Um, like Homeward Angel for me.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: I remember reading it and liking it, and then trying again.
2: How much time had passed between between reading? Oh,
3: years. <laughs> it goes by too quickly
2: well, it's it's one of those things where you know your worldview might be different. your experiences might be mm-hmm. different. You never
3: things speak you never to you know. at different times.
2: What have you learned about yourself, you know, through your own writing career and in all these books that you've done? Have you any big insights into yourself besides the 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 fact that you are clearly an animal lover?
3: I think at this point in my life, I'm just so grateful that I found my passion relatively early and I've struggled to um, get my pleasure out of the process of doing it because when you're out in the world and you're selling it to an editor or you're promoting it, it's it's not a hat that is as enjoyable for me to wear. I truly love talking to kids. I I want to use this book as a platform to speak to children, to get them to love animals the way I do, or, or just to care about them. And I I think gratitude is the biggest thing that is on my mind constantly now.
2: Was it hard for you during the pandemic when you couldn't go into schools and read to kids? I did a lot of Zoom visits. Okay. I did, in the, fact- Was it the same for you? Did you get the same, the same feeling, same energy out of it? It wasn't quite the same, but
3: I- for example, I had opportunities I know I I wouldn't have had, for example, North Shore Animal Rescue, which is on Long Island, does something every month where they get an author to read, and they do a program called mud Agrees, where they have a whole curriculum, there's one for primary school one for secondary, to get kids to develop compassion for animals and people, and they ask authors to read so schools all over the country buy it. Buy, I don't think they buy it. I think they get it free, this program, and use it with their school kids. So I got to do a Zoom. Fortunately, I actually did two. And I'm going to do one next year for this book, where I spoke to children all over the country in one Zoom. And I got to see some of the kids. And um, in some of the Zooms, I did get to see the kids, and they asked me questions. Another thing was, I for about two years I didn't get a cold because sometimes a little kid comes up with green stuff hanging out of his nose and he wants to hug me and hold my hand. So it's forever getting colds. Yeah. But yeah. I lo- I just love being with him. I have a school visit on Monday.
2: So. Okay. Are you are you based in Los Angeles or?
3: And based in Los Angeles,
2: yes. In it looks like it's a sunny day in LA, judging by your background.
3: Yeah, yeah, and it actually rained the other day, which is heaven sent.
2: Oof! It doesn't happen often there. I lived in oh, uh, health terrible. for six it months, and I didn't see Dunkin' Donuts, and I didn't see rain. <laughs> or have good pizza. Um, well, Karen, this has uh, this has been fun. Um, I it's do been, have.
3: It's been great speaking with you and meeting you.
2: Oh, likewise, but I have one question I always like to end on, which is um, if you could go back in time and uh, and write your younger self a letter um, or send that letter back in time to your younger self, what would you tell your younger self? Any any big Any big thoughts, big words of advice you'd tell a, a younger Karen?
3: Well, one thing, I was a good student in the subjects I liked and there were some subjects I didn't like, so I didn't try hard. So maybe that would have been better. To, um, to do that because there are certain things like I studied French and I could never pronounce it. And um, just, I, I mean, I feel like I'm an earnest person and, and maybe it isn't so good to be so serious, but um, maybe I could have been a little more serious about certain things. And I would have liked to have kept more of the dogs I found.
2: Oh, well, speaking of which, um, I haven't seen any walking around during the course of we're going to, we're going to see some canines. Yes. Come on guys. Hey, is everybody here? Come on. Come on. Rusty. Winnie,
1: Bella. Come on.
3: Okay. My son keeps getting me. This is Goldie. <laughs>
2: Goldie. Oh, sweetie. What's that, a King Charles Spaniel? They're oh. all. They're all I mean, King Charles Spaniels.
3: I've had a Boston. I've had mutts in the past when I was younger. And I had a Bichon. Oh, and this is Rusty. Can you see Rusty? Oh,
2: yeah. I see Rusty. Oh, she's beautiful. I don't
3: think anybody else came in.
2: Oh, dear. <laughs> Well, I, I have to since we're since we're sharing. I have to share a picture. My favorite picture of my son. Uh, this is probably about 19 years old. Hold on, I'm going to put it up on the screen with our three-legged golden Barkley. Uh, Barkley you had
3: Barkley. a disabled dog.
2: But I mean, is this not the cutest picture? That ever? is
3: a gorgeous picture, right? Is
2: that not the cutest picture, Patrick and uh, and
3: it, it? See, that's the thing. I can learn something from the animals. I had a blind dog that became blind when she was seven. Yeah. And she just went around her life, about her life, you know, and then when they can't jump anymore, they just look at me like, pick me up. I, I mean, they adjust.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well, Karen, this has been fun. Thank you so much. Um, do you, well, I know we have, you have a website, karenbwinnick.com. I I we'll put that in the show notes. Also, we'll share your Instagram. Uh, and Goodreads uh, links as well. Um, Thank so you so can, much. You're welcome. And uh, Karen, all the best with uh, with this book and those five dogs.
3: Thank you. Okay. Have a great rest of the day.
2: You too. Bye bye. Bye bye.
1: Thanks for listening to Uncorking a Story. If you'd like more information about today's guest or to find out more about Mike go to uncorkingastory.com. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, rate, and review us at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Tune in every week to hear Mike Carlin uncork a new story.